0: In three, two, one.
1: Hi, I'm Steve Hansen, Iowa CRP Services, and this is the Prairie Farm Podcast.
2: up around Prairie and in the Prairie industry and in South to Southeastern Iowa, you would think that I would know most people in Prairie. I don't remember what I was doing, but I was on, I was on Google or something looking up (laughs) something about CRP and I came across Iowa CRP services, Iowa CRP, uh, it was the website. And, uh, I was like, who is this? This must be some, some new guy. Breaking in has a great, great website. Um, never heard of him. Let me give him a call. Well, my goodness. Who answers the phone but the legendary Steve Hansen, who I hadn't heard of yet. But I'm talking to him. It becomes very apparent. I am not the expert in the conversation. <laughs> Steve is the expert in the conversation. He'd been doing it as, almost as long as I had been alive, uh, helping people with their CRP, uh, planting it, helping people with their mixes, managing it, mowing it, burning it, spraying it, doing all these things. And uh, I felt like a fool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> truly, I, I, I'd never heard of him. I couldn't believe I'd never heard of him. Uh, but today, uh we have the privilege to hang out with the owner of Iowa CRP Steve Hansen thanks so much for joining us
0: oh thank you guys for having me absolutely i was i've been very much looking forward to this pod every time so that's my desk there whenever i'm inside <laughs> and uh whenever i look up at the calendar i'd see hey we got Steve coming for a podcast awesome. i get excited because uh i met Steve back at the Iowa Deer Classic which if you're of uh the same cloth that Steve and i are from that's like going to a paradise of, of sorts. Everyone there is, is there for, uh, I mean, you know, it's best if you can get there before the crowd, but <laughs>
2: Ken's going to die one
0: day and he'll get to heaven and St. Peter <laughs> will Iowa be like, come on in. And it's just the Iowa deer classic. <laughs>
2: it's just all the same booths and food. And <laughs>
0: Specifically it'll be around where the shed hunting, uh, or the shed antlers are at. That's, uh, I really enjoy shed hunting and Steve and I talked about that a little bit at the deer classic, And so uh, I've been very excited for this podcast. So thank you very much, Steve, for coming up our way. Hey, this is great. Checking things out, but yeah. So uh, how long have you been in, uh, I guess for just lack of a better term, uh, the prairie business, like whether just planting CRP or selling seed? I bought my first
1: farm in Iowa in 1998. Okay. And it had a CRP contract. I barely knew what this was at the time, Mm -hmm. but it had a CRP contract that the person had enrolled but not completed the contract. So as one of my, you know, first projects, I literally had to plant, you know, the warm season grasses sure. on my farm. And and literally it was just like, this is something I knew nothing about. And through mm-hmm. the help of uh, you know, some local seed people and a couple farmers, we got it done. And yeah, it was pretty cool. So that would have been my first introduction. But doing it, you know, professionally or for other people probably about I'm going to say 15 years, maybe a little longer. And we were talking earlier, kind of what led me to that. It's once you have land and you want to improve it, you know, there's always need for equipment and Mm -hmm. equipment is extremely expensive. So we would start to take on doing a little bit of work for other people to afford to have a nice drill and a good tractor and all the stuff that goes with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of experience in 15 years.
1: Yeah. And I would say maybe even a little longer than that. Um, We started the, iowa crp services and putting that under its own own business name and mainly due to the burning Mm -hmm. you know the burning Mm -hmm. carries some inherent risk with it and we just the insurance and all that needs to reside in a in an llc so that's how that came about yeah
2: i've heard there's a lot of people ask us all the time hey you know anyone that burns and and no one does it except for steve here uh and the reason nobody wants to do it is because the uh the insurance for it—it's yeah. it's just hard to get yep. a hold of, and and uh, find an insurance company that wants to. Uh, you are you are starting the thing that they insure, which is a fire. So right, exactly. you know, most places <laughs> yeah. they're like paying people for yes. fires. so yes. we're on the other end that. of it. Yeah, cool. I, but so even you've got pretty cool stuff going on even before the late '90s when you bought that farm. What were you doing before that?
1: Well, I mean the. I try to whittle this down to a somewhat concise thing. but Oh, no. Lay it you know, all out there. We, well, everybody I likes grew up to in Illinois, the the suburbs of Chicago. As soon as I could leave there, I did, which was, I was about 18, out right out of high school. And I took a summer job in northern Minnesota in the Boundary Waters, near a little town called Ely. Oh, oh yeah. And wow. Then, yeah. I've so then there. I switched. I was planning to go to school for forestry, went to school there. And then while I was up there, I met a guy from... Southern Iowa, Northern Missouri, that guided some hunters, and we just kind of got to be friends and stuff. And he he said, "Hey, why don't you come down and help me g- help guide?" Hmm. So I I came down here and helped him, and that would have been that would have been as soon as they started allowing non-resident hunters, which which would have been early
2: '90s at this point. Oh, really? '92,
1: '93, something like that. And then
2: um, was that a big deal? Like, where, did you have issues with locals at all? While you oh, were yeah, there?
1: yeah, because we were doing something different, you know, people and. I mean, I, I think obviously this trend would have changed with that, but that was sort of the first time that people realized they, the locals had such a good thing here, you know, and it was such, you know, such an untapped resource Mm -hmm. that, and, you know, I could see what it was happening and going to happen in the future because I saw it happen in Illinois. So coming over here to Iowa, it was like stepping back in time, so to speak. So, Mm. you know, I knew this land that people can't hardly give away is going to be valuable. And, you know, I and I would got involved in that. But, uh, yeah, there was always some challenges with that. And, um, you know, people people never really I don't even know if they asked permission back then. Just seemed like they roamed farm to farm. And and the primary primarily did deer drives, which Mm -hmm. is a sort of very invasive way to hunt deer you know you're scaring everything every living thing off the farm so you know and we don't hunt that way so that was part of the challenge too but but from there um the place where i was living and working up in northern minnesota they decided to have me do trade shows for them one winter the first trade show i did i met an outfitter from alaska and i just said hey if you need help i'll come up and help so i went Mm -hmm. Flew up there at, I really didn't know anything about it. Uh, He just told me to be in this town in the spring or in the fall. It was uh, late August, just before their moose and bear hunt. And so I just showed up and loved it. Worked as a, like a helper, you know, packing out moose and mountain Mm -hmm. goat hunting and stuff, just as a helper did that for two years. And then ended up going back, getting my guide's license, and then actually going back and getting my outfitter license. Wow. And I was still pretty young then, so I actually had one of the youngest non-resident outfitter licenses in Alaska. Wow, so just kind of awesome. how it worked out. Yep. And then, um, but you know, the guiding there is seasonal and it's short time, mm-hmm. so I would come back and still help that guy guide the hunting business here. And that's when I started to buy my own land. I would basically work in Alaska, save the money, and come here, come back to Iowa, and. That's how huh. I started. Wow. You link. really
0: jumped on opportunities. I mean, you, yeah, I that's, mean, that's, that's pretty rare.
1: It, 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 yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's just like it, it always sort of felt like it had been scripted for me and it was just my thing to live it out. You know, it just seems like it went yeah, that that's way. impressive. So, Yeah. yeah.
2: That's, Thank that's you. Really no, impressive. accidentally following into falling into your your calling of the out of call of the wild. I'll say that <laughs> I
0: think that name's already uh, copyrighted. Yes. Ah, <laughs> yeah, not going to use that. What's, uh, what, <laughs> so.
2: what's the name of the dog in that in that Jack London book? Do you, oh, is, uh, does it have a name? Uh, oh yeah, it definitely yeah. has a name. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking of this under, dog oh, uh, the other. Um,
0: there's well, there's the call of the wild, but then there's I think you might be thinking of the other one, the wolf dog. Um, that's the call of the wild, call right? Call the wild,
1: yes. Yeah. It's, it's the, the wolf the dog. Famous, yeah, it's, it's that just, dog
2: that's real big. He's yep. even big for a wolf. Yep,
0: and he <laughs> look it up. It's bomb, dude. It's well, yeah, I'm, I'm looking head. this up. <laughs> this is my look. This, so while, half of this is probably getting edited out. While Nick is looking this up, I I have so many questions right now for Steve because I'm as you all know that have been listening to this podcast for a long time. I'm the I'm the hunting voice on the podcast usually, but Steve, when you were up there in Alaska, what was like? the scariest thing the serious situation you were in
1: well i mean probably the simplest one that is obviously i was moving through the ranks of from packer to guide and stuff like that about as quickly as you could mm-hmm. and somehow as soon as i got my guide's license i i let them they let me guide a brown bear hunter and I really had no business but guiding a brown bear hunter. Really, I didn't. I mean, yeah, I've been with the other guides on hunts and stuff, but it's totally different when you're the one calling the shots. And you got to remember, I grew up so close to Chicago that we could only bow hunt. Wow. So I had never shot an animal with a rifle.
2: <laughs> yeah, never.
1: None. We killed tons of deer with a bow, and, you know, we always archery hunt, and then we pheasant hunted with a shotgun and stuff like that. But so the through this whole chain of events... I end up guiding a brown bear hunter, made a whole ton of rookie mistakes, which ended with a wounded bear, which was not good. A big bear too. In in all the years that I guided up there, I don't want to jump to the end of my story, but um, with clients, I killed 25 brown bears and the only really scary ones were the first one and the last one. And the first one is the one where I just got sort of turned loose guiding, let a client take a marginal shot you know he wasn't ready for it and hit it high and we ended up going back the next morning and tracking it and he was very I mean I didn't know much but this guy knew less and so I left him back I was actually worried that he would get too excited and possibly shoot me so I left him on the glassing hill and tracked it ended up ended up shooting it five times with my rifle and four times of the forty-four. And at at oh the, my at goodness. the oh my Yeah. Goodness. And at the end of those shots, it wasn't dead. It had one broken shoulder and it would hold itself up with its other good shoulder and try it was trying to get me, but it was digging. It was, you know, with its good good leg. And the other one it just kind of braced itself on and it was spinning around and mud and blood going everywhere and I didn't even think I had a frame pack on and I had the bullets in my pocket. I was carrying a three thirty eight and I had the extra shells in my pocket, but I didn't even think to just unbuckle the.
0: Yeah, waist just belt. an adrenaline. Yeah. Dump. So I just
1: took off running. I didn't know what else to do. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, nobody told me how to do this. <laughs> yeah, so I right. just took off running and I'm running through the alders and they're thick. Like we would have willows in a slough mm-hmm, here they're really yeah. thick. And I got an alder right up my nose. So, uh, so and by now the hunter had heard all the shooting and he started coming down my way and we met up on a little hilltop about by now it was about two hundred yards oh. from the bear and I i was out of breath. He thought the bear had got me because he could see yeah, all the blood on my face. Every... And uh and I was just yelling, shoot him, shoot him and he was standing there glassing and looked like he was Christopher Columbus, he was so calm. <laughs> and and I'm like, shoot him, shoot him. And he wouldn't shoot him. And I whipped my pack off, threw it on the ground, laid down and shot it like three more times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that finally took yeah, care of it. Yes. And oh. that, I mean,
1: you, you couldn't have made any worse mistakes as a guide than I yeah. did on that one. I mean, if you planned to screw it up, you would do it that way. And yeah. Thankfully, no one got hurt, and we did get the bear, and it was a big bear, 10 foot 2 inches. Wow. Yeah, it was a giant. It was, all the time that I guided, it was the biggest one that, that wow. I was ever in on taking. So, Well,
2: yeah, you gave it nine shots, right, and it exactly. was still like rolling around, right. playing in yeah. the dirt. Yeah. My yeah. goodness. Hey, by the way, that dog's name? Buck. Buck. Okay.
0: That's Buck. Yeah. I was, was thinking there. of uh, White Fang, so that's the other Jack London story. Oh, what's that? Buck one? is the one in in, in Call of the Wild. Call of the Wild.
2: Yep. I was thinking of White Fang. But what what story is White Fang from? That's, that's just, another Jack. That's just London. the book. White oh.
0: Fang. It oh, okay. Is, it's named okay, after okay, the okay. wolf. Sorry, uh, but
1: no, no, no problem.
0: No, so so that was the that was the first bear, and then your last one was a sketchy deal. My too? last
1: one was a really sketchy deal, but it just showed. I like to think anyways, it showed that I did sort of mature Mm -hmm. after nine years of guiding and stuff. And this was an archery hunt and this guy was on his third hunt and I'd guided him the second time and this time. And we had a great plan. We'd killed a moose the week before we'd harvest, salvaged all the meat and just where that you can hunt over the leftover Remains mm-hmm. without moving them, as long as you salvage all the meat and everything, which we had done, had this great plan. My hunter Greg flew in. We were going to set up a tree stand and hunt it. It would be a great way to try to harvest a brown bear with a bow. Mm-hmm. We got like twenty inches of rain. That whole meadow was oh underwater. My goodness! So we knew we could. We knew the bear won't, isn't going to find it underwater, and we right. can't get there if we if he did. So I I said, well, let's go hunt on the coast. Let's go out on the tide flats because no matter how much rain you get at low tide, the water's gone. So I said, the bears are going to go there to look for food. Let's go hunt the tide flats for a few days until, Mm -hmm. until we, you know, can, can get back up into the meadow. And so we took a boat from our main base, went up in there and Greg didn't like boats. I'll never forget that. And the rivers, when they meet the ocean, they push up sandbars. Mm -hmm. So you have to wait for a high tide. And then, we didn't have quite high enough of a tide. So you get the boat and this is just like a 20 foot boat with a maybe 60 horse outboard. Sure. And as the wave is going over the sandbar, you actually ride the wave for extra water depth,
2: but it's mm. kind
1: of spooky because, oh, you know, yeah. and I remember him going, I don't like boats. And I said, you're not going to like this. <laughs> and so we made it to camp. Everything was great. Set up our little camp, there's a wall, you know, just a pup tent. And, there was a salmon stream there upstream a little bit. There was a real clear pool clear from the tidal stuff. And at low tide, the bears were coming there fishing and I'm like, Oh, this might be a good setup. So we got up on a high cut bank, just cut the alders and the brush back with a handsaw and made ourselves a little makeshift blind and, you don't really need a blind. They're not real wary critters. They're mm-hmm. not walking around like a Turkey, you know, they own sure. the place. So and they know it, they're, they are scared of people for the most part, but they're, you know, they're not jumpy. So we, our plan was okay. We'd get there two hours before the hot, b- before the low tide, two or three hours. So we got there. We hadn't, the tide, the pool was still full. We didn't think the bears would come to fish. And one popped out a nice one. And, you know, Greg, very diligent bow hunter, good shot. Made a perfect shot with the bow. I mean, hmm. perfect. You know, you, you you could see right where it went right through him, and you know, and I was I was instantly like, oh, that's awesome. Well, the bear turned, and instead of running back up the river where he came, he started climbing that cut bank we were uh, sitting on. And what I think, oh, yeah, what I think happened was when we cut a little hole in the brush, it looked like a tunnel or a path that he could go. Sure, you know, and so we decided, or not we. So I was I was like, "Oh shit, I could hear him coming, but I didn't want to lean over the edge. So all of a sudden, I could see his paws hit a little further than me to you. <laughs> oh, and my After goodness. this whole thing went down, I took my rifle and flipped it three times, and that was where his claws were to where our packs and stuff oh. were. Oh. Well, when his claws hit the bank, I stood up and I shot him, and he rolled down and I shot him two more times, and he was dead. And I instantly felt terrible because this guy had spent ungodly amounts of money Made the perfect shot. Yeah. And then I ruined it by shooting it with a gun because that it har- disqualifies the... it from Pope and Young. And, you know, it's really at that oh, point yeah. not a bow kill, yeah. so to speak. And I turned, I turned and looked at Greg and he was just white, like white as a sheet. And I'm like, dude, man, I'm sorry. And he goes, I was yelling shoot, but nothing was coming out. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't feel so bad. So. But, oh, um, man. my it's... word. I've <laughs> never, I don't think I've
2: ever felt fear like that in my life I mean there was one time I slipped down the stairs and I had a moment but uh, <laughs> I was 16 that's a so. little bit different story <laughs> yeah there, it's not the same my goodness been yeah. stared down the snout yeah. of a brown that's, bear that's and
1: I was young then and it it's it's almost like the same reason that they put 18 year olds in the military and send them in the front lines in World yeah. War 2 cuz you think differently when you're young. Yeah. You know what I mean? You do have that invinci- invincible mindset, you know. Hmm.
0: So when that happened was that kind of like, yeah, this is this is it or
1: No, you know, I didn't quit because of that. That was um I did I will say that I had sort of lost my interest in shooting brown bears Mm -hmm. you know what i mean i've seen enough of them be taken i mean i'm not against anybody hunting them but Mm -hmm. i didn't really want to do it anymore you know what i mean i don't know why i mean it just was one of the like i said i was more interested for the for the adventure which i had i had plenty of and um you know it's a unique hunt the meat's not salvaged so you you know that kind of bothered me always Mm -hmm. um
2: really why why
1: I don't know. They're super high in trichnosis, you know, oh. because they eat a beach diet. They eat carrion on the beach, so it's rotting this and that. And, you yeah. know, they eat whales and what, they'll eat whatever they can scrounge up. But, mm-hmm. yeah, because of that, that it's, you know, that's one thing that I thought, you know, I don't know if I'd, I did. And I had to make a choice, too, um, because I either needed to take over my boss's business up there and do that or get more serious here in Iowa. But mm-hmm. I couldn't do both, you know? Yeah. Sure. So.
2: What, does what uh, get more serious here in Iowa look like then? Well,
1: well, I would, I'd already started buying the farms. Oh, okay. So, and, and I could see this was during a period of fairly rapid appreciation. So I, I could mm-hmm. see what worried me about owning the Alaska business is you could buy it. Now a business is based on brown bear hunting and, and, at some point you know I could see that changing politically where that wasn't allowed anymore right, yeah. and then you invested your whole all your youth and your whole career into something that may not have a exit path at yeah. the end whereas the farms it just it was looking like a natural you know my whole plan when I started buying the farms I was doing this guiding stuff and everything else and I thought, oh man, if I can someday have a thousand acres and it is worth a thousand dollars an acre, I'll be set for retirement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and three years in I had four hundred acres and it was worth two thousand, three thousand. You know, it just yeah. kept going up. Right. So yep. so the math changed on that. So
2: Yeah. I I know I man, dad bought this land here for less than of what it's worth now. Isn't that crazy? That is so crazy. And I Mm imagine there would be a dip. So my wife and I bought a house during COVID and it like shot up in value and then it dipped down, but it didn't dip down to what we originally bought it for. So we were still up. So I imagine at some point there would be a dip, but I don't know. Cause you also now work Mm -hmm. with real estate as well. Yep. And and so are you mostly doing agricultural farms or what kind of? Yeah.
1: Yeah. My, yeah, per, 100% of what I specialize in is either ag or recreational land. Yep. Hmm. CRP, you know, hunting type farms, or yeah. we do some ro- true row crop stuff. Although, you, you know, from where you live in the Knoxville area, you know, it. you guys are in good country up here as far as farming. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This is more of yeah. the real deal. Down there, we get a mix. It's some pa- a lot of pasture still, you know, some CRP, some timber. All that yeah. kind of stuff. So. It's true. it's
2: interesting because you get further south in Iowa, you get a lot of a lot of timber, a lot of deer hunting. Yep. You know, some a bu- bunch of pasture. Then you you get here, it's great farmland. You get further north, it's great farmland. But if you get far enough north, then again, it's like timber. Yep. You, you, Wisconsin's got like the driftless area, sure. you know, and and so it's Iowa's like boop right there in the middle. You got this prime. Right. Farming yeah. real estate. And and we actually, in a couple of weeks, we'll have uh, a land broker out of South Dakota on the oh, podcast. Cool. And we're really excited to talk to him just because land has been such a crazy topic these days, you know, with like professional athletes buying it. Yeah, and,
1: it's definitely the hot item. I mean, there's no doubt about you that. You ever
2: sold so. to a professional athlete?
1: Um, I've worked with him a couple of times. Really? So yeah. But never. I've never had a transaction go through. And, um, and there have always been friends um, like a friend who might be a farm manager says, Hey, can you show this guy? Yeah. You know what I mean? This farm. And um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of celebrity connections down into this part of Iowa. Hmm. You know what I mean? Well, when I say this part, I I would mean more South. Um, The there's, why is that? Well, it's because of the quality of the hunting. And so if you're a country music singer and you want to hunt the biggest deer on earth you become friends with lee and tiffany oh, yep. or someone like that and then that becomes you know you be kind of become part of their machine and man yeah
2: so you ever rub shoulders down there with with some of those people
1: yeah i mean i know them for sure mark drury i planted prairie grass for mark drury oh, really yep <laughs> only a dumbest job we ever did drove tractors about 60 miles to do it <laughs> oh my but word but I wanted to see his farm. Yeah, right, you know yeah. what I mean. And yeah. I wanted to see what—that's what, a career moment he was, to be exactly, hanging out with a guy you know? like that. Yeah. And get, not only getting to be able to hang out with him, but really see his farm from the inside. Yeah. And um, at that time, he got tied up. That farm was in Missouri, right on the Iowa line, near Pleasanton. Or was Pleasanton? that
0: the was that the farm they gave away a few years ago? No. Okay. No,
1: it was it was down that same area, but it wasn't that one. He still mm. has that, that farm that I worked on. But, oh, uh, cool. yeah, that was just, it was you know, it was worth doing because we, um, you know, wanted to learn what he was up yeah. to. And, and so. I
2: bet, you know, you see, like, the famous, uh, uh, what is it, the Albia Buck? Yep. You yeah. see that famous yep. Albia Buck, you know, the celebrities on Instagram scrolling through, yep. you know, and they're like, wow, I well, guess we can we've get talked stuff like to,
0: that. Uh, we've talked to guys. Uh, we just talked to Sam Soholt yesterday who worked for – uh, Bill Winkie's outfit mid uh Midwest Whitetail sure. Institute Is that that's the right name, right? Yeah. Yeah, Midwest, Midwest White Whitetail. Whitetail. Yeah, Midwest Whitetail. And uh he uh that's down or was down by Albia. I'm yeah. not I'm not sure if they're still down in that way or
1: I don't think so. I think they base out of Iowa City now. Okay. They've had a lot of people, a lot of turnover. It's changed but hands the, several times, right? The funny thing where that <clears throat> relates back to what we're talking about, that very my very first farm that I bought I bought a 200-acre farm, and then I bought, um, it was a two I think was 227. So I put the two farms together. I sold that to Bill Winkie. Okay. that huh. Bill, Bill bought my farm. So, wow. Yeah. Yep. Really? And I got to know Bill through that process, and him, him and I you know, yeah. so, still text. I'll see something on him on TV, and I'll text him and yeah. checking out his new farm and stuff like that. So he's a good dude.
0: Yeah, he seems like, seems like a really good guy. And uh, the people that have studied under him through Midwest – whitetail uh, just an incredible he, he's brought a of, lot of people. good people
1: to the industry for yeah. sure you know a ton more more than some people would realize you know
0: yep the hunting public those guys they yep. they're out of Albia area and and uh a few other guys uh the guy that we met at uh, deer classic uh, jake sproll from a uh, deer co oh yeah jake sproll cool he dude was, he was out of midwest whitetail so yeah it's interesting to see how something that most people just view as recreation hobby as a hobby, right. yeah, as a hobby yeah, they don't- creates this whole corner of the the market but also you you know and this this has come under fire and i think it's fair i think it's a fair criticism um, from somebody who's in the hunting community, myself, you know, uh, used to hear this phrase all the time. You don't hear it so much anymore, but uh, if you're a hunter, you're a conservationist or hunting is conservation or, right. you know, it's like this automatic yeah. and yes, th- with, within the North American model of conserva- wildlife conservation here in our country, hunting is an integral part of sure. that model. But I would say that most serious hunters, especially the guys you're dealing with that where you're, you know, helping them put this amazing property together sure. or find one to buy or whatever right. they typically I would. And by typically I would say almost always have some kind of conservation mindset Oh yeah, where they, they they're willing to lose money on those acres in a sense that, boy, if I planted all this in, corn and soybeans right. i could make way more money off right. this ground but no i it's not i'm gonna put in prairie use, grass. Right. right sure and and it's because of that so has that been would you agree with that Absolutely. from what you've seen
1: yeah yeah i mean i would say you know 90 percent of the people we deal with you know they're definitely conservation minded and and good mm-hmm. stewards of mm-hmm. the land you know a lot of times you have to coach them into that their hearts in the right place they just don't know what to do. Right. You know what yeah. I mean. Yep. And, and the the biggest hurdle that we face with a lot of that stuff is um, there's some people in the hunting industry that have a strong following and presence mm-hmm. and have a, but are very opinionated. And like, no, it's got to be macanthus, or it's got, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, I don't know, you know, I'm not against planning it in limited spots or something like that if you have to, but it's, you know, it, you know, I think that the, the me- most people I, listen to these type of, of promoters, mm-hmm. and it's unfortunate that they don't view their platform the from a stewardship mindset
2: first, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah, that's is, a great point. How do you how do you deal with? Um, so, I can CRP. Yep. People can get, and for uh, the audience, if you guys don't know, for the listeners, um, a CP25 is the most common mix sold in, in Iowa and, and used by um, the NRCS for landowners. You can get either a 3010, which is more grasses and less Forbes, or you can do a 2020, which is the same amount of grasses and Forbes. The, the benefit of doing a 2020 is that. The Forbes will last for decades, as opposed to piddling out after seven, eight, nine years. Mm-hmm. Well, the downside is it it's it's like thirty or forty dollars more per acre to plant those things. So when we're talking to a customer, we we have a hard like hey, this is better for the environment. You know, you list right. off all these things. Sure. Well, it can look a little double-minded to them because they might think that we're just we're trying, trying to get trying more money. How, how, how do you talk to, you know, talk them into something that might be more expensive but better for from a conservation mindset?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, I'm, you know, like, in trying to get those type of mixes, you know, I think just explaining the, you know, even if you have to use deer only to get some, to win somebody over the food value in the Forbes. And it's a food source throughout the whole year. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, and when you say 20, maybe 20, $30 an acre over the course of a 10 year contract, it's very little. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think I'm, I'm very fortunate in the guys, a lot of the guys that we work for, um, I would say if you would, if you would stereotype them, They're probably 10 years away from retirement or less. And this is their, sort of their dream. You know Mm. what I mean? So if you give them the alternative, hey, you know, do you want to, you know, do you want to put Menards windows in your house or Pella windows in your house? Right. You know what I mean? This is the Pella windows. This is doing it right. Yeah. And we are fortunate that we're working with people that have the resources to to do the right thing. So, you know absolutely. And uh, you know, and I think it takes some encouragement from the NRCS office. I -hmm. think they help a lot if they can make the sales pitch too. Mm -hmm. you know, then they hear it from multiple people. If I say it, if you guys say it, NRCS says it, you know, it's going to sink in because then it doesn't seem like I'm trying to sell them expensive seed. You're trying to sell them expensive seed. It's, you know, it's coming at them from all sides.
2: Yeah, that is a really good point. So when it comes to like uh, I want to go back to what you said about the the deer. I have a question. Sure. Uh, that you have more expertise on than myself. What do you think of perennial food plots as opposed to the annual ones?
1: Oh, it's definitely you know we've transitioned more to perennial plots. On mm. um, the we still have grain plots. We still have to do turnips, and we always you know just like you guys, you have to rotate. You have stuff yeah. going on, but the you know the year most of the guys, I would say. I turkey hunted this morning with one of my friends who's a landowner, client, friend, uh, all of the above. And, um, you know, he's transitioned more and more to perennial plots because he's just sick of the battle. You know what I mean? You Just the failure of other stuff. And the other thing about um, including some perennials is it cuts your workload down Mm. on a timing. You know, yeah. you don't have to do everything in May or April, May. You don't have to do yeah. everything in the first week of August for your fall plots. It You know, if you have clover, you know, legumes and stuff like that, if they're there, you know, if it's a drought, they'll go dormant a little bit. But get yeah. some rain in September, they're right back there. Mm-hmm. So.
2: Yeah, because when we were at Iowa Deer Classic, I was telling people and they're like, whoa, $200 for an acre of a food plot. Right. And I was like, yeah, but... It lasts fifteen years, you right. know, or twenty exactly. years,
1: or yeah. if you really take See, care of it, it'll just that's keep... the best way to do it. Is you know, amortize it over over the life of the plot, mm-hmm. and it doesn't sound as expensive.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. Is there a problem where uh, you know this happens all the time to guys who get into food plotting? They put down a too small of a right. a patch, to, and then they have. You know, it's almost like if you went to a uh, junior high football team after the game and set a yeah, pile of nachos on sure. the table, so, you know, they're just gone in seconds. It's Does that happen much with uh, perennial food plots? Have you noticed where, you know, you're hoping for this long-term thing, but because, you know, whoa, there's a new hot item here on this farm and everybody pours in there, eats it down to the dirt, and it's, that's it.
1: I We do see that during establishment. Okay. If they don't get, you know, if we don't get good weather to keep them going, if they start to go dormant, you know, before they're really rooted in good, then mm-hmm. you can have them overgrazed to the point where they may not persist. So, mm. yep that that's for sure. What's the what's the best
0: way to prevent that? <sighs> it's somebody's... not
1: the cheapest, but the best way is electric fence. Okay. Yep. If you have to, yep. And we mm-hmm. we do that a lot. We do mm-hmm. tons and tons of it more than we should, and that and that's kind of a newer phenomenon for for us in Iowa and I'm I'm not exactly sure because the 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 trend model of the population shouldn't mean that we have more deer than we did in the 2006 through 2011 range mm-hmm. according to the DNR that would have been when we had the most deer mm-hmm. but it seems like I don't know if they're just as these farms or you know properties more sanctuaries are being created so to speak Mm. that the deer numbers in those sanctuaries is that much higher you know what Mm -hmm. i mean
2: yeah so well because we were we were up um in wisconsin Mm -hmm. and they were talking about deer population just being absurd and ken and and i saw it yeah so (laughs) we left we left where we were hanging out and it was getting closer to sunset time unreal yeah i
0: mean we saw like 80 deer in like 10 minutes oh wow yeah Yeah, it's absurd yeah. yeah, I mean, well, and it made sense. So, so uh, you'll get to hear more about this on the Doug Duran episode if you haven't listened to it yet. We're up there in Driftless Iowa, and the, I mean, uh, everything is edge. You right. Know, you got these small sure. twenty-acre cornfields yep. surrounded by eighty acres of timber. Sure. You know, there's just habitat with. Food and tons of edge to move in between there safely, and right, just way too hard for any kind of predator to even a human predator right. to keep up on those numbers, sure. Um, they're just everywhere, but but um, yeah, so here in Iowa, you know, we, we don't have as much. You mentioned the sanctuary side of that, and that's that's right. definitely like a philosophy within whitetail management. Are you right. do you like preserving a sanctuary on a property? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, and and you know, I'm probably less um rigid about the sanctuaries sure. but more concerned on what time of the year it is mm-hmm. you know we'll go in in the in the fall or in the winter you know like january february even in areas of sanctuaries we'll do you know edge feathering we'll do tsi work we'll mm-hmm. cut some timber whatever we're doing i'm not worried about that changing it and then throughout the summer you know we're definitely less intrusive but once the deer shed their their velvet that's when they really change. And that's when you really, if you want to hold big deer on properties, especially smaller ones, that's where you do have to be careful with the amount of intrusion that sure. you put in there. are It's like they kind of, when they're in velvet, they're in summer mode and they're not really worried about stuff, but yeah. it's like, as soon as that velvet comes off, they go back to, you know, what they're supposed to be, mm-hmm. which is oh
2: man, yep, yep. secretive. We, it's- we like a month ago after Iowa deer classic, we titled, an episode um how to make good ha- deer habitat or something like that we should have saved that title for this one
0: yeah. oh the, I, I know what you're talking about yeah yeah
2: because yeah. it, it steve man it's uh i wish you guys could see hi- his face on the other side of this this man is <laughs> is confident through experience you know i i mean how much more experience do you need than a grizzly bear you yeah. know staring <laughs> out <of> your face <laughs> you know i don't know how that translates to deer but no you know no. And, and uh and what's interesting is, is the, um, the clientele that you've had and the people that you're working for and you're, you're getting this experience. How in the world do you start? Like, did you start 20, 30 years ago with none, you know, yeah, going into no, it? no,
1: It's just, yeah, it's just, you know, start doing it and was working for another guy and, you know, met, you know, some of his clients, him and I are still great friends And then I started, you know, my own thing. Some of the hunters came with me and he was cool with it. And, you know, just through work your way through meeting different people. And just like meeting you guys, I could tell right away, you guys would be the same kind of people that I'd want to hang out with. So it's like, you know what I mean? Once you know what, you know, and, and luckily it's probably not so much so nowadays, but the, you know, the 20 years ago, if people were here in Iowa for the deer, that was a rare thing. So mm. you kind of gravitated towards each other. Sure. You know, like mm. Bill Winky, for instance, who everybody speaks. He's very approachable. You just walk up, start talking to him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yep. pretty soon we're helping him plan his food plots and yeah. everything else, you know? Huh. So, you know, nowadays I think it's almost like some of the industry professionals, mm-hmm. they may not be so approachable because it's kind of, it's been, that's changed now. You're competing for a limited resource. yeah, And now they, they, they maybe. And they are. I mean, they're more like superstars, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. where yeah, you know what I mean? we're
2: s I mean, some of these hunting podcasts are like on par with like the the Prince of England's right. uh, podcast. Yeah, you know, just like, yeah, 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 just crazy. Uh, yeah, how how big some of the, these they're names really are? Popular. Which we we were discussing this the other day. That was. That's been the big criticism of Stephen Ellen. We appreciate that man and, and everything he's done for hunting and conservation sure. and, and getting the word out for uh, for good causes. But the one criticism has been, hey, you're making hunting too uh, mainstream, too popular. Right. Um, not not the criticism from us, but you sure, know, that he's generally. received. Yep. And, and do you see with like kind of hunting becoming more popular and, and people are people flocking to it down there in the South south central iowa area or- yeah
1: yeah i mean there's definitely more and more demand you know for land and and not just land but also the lifestyle mm-hmm. you know yep. it, it's that's a big part of it to be able to live in a place like that where there is still a you know it's not easy to come by but there's still a lot of land available mm-hmm. you know it's and and at, with high quality hunting yeah. yeah that's that's the big difference there's a lot of land a lot of places but to have the high quality hunting that's what you know what i was all about so
0: yeah Man. And, you know, there's there's several limiting factors, I think, in Iowa that helps, even though as as hunting does become more popular and, uh, um, you know, people may, especially guys that have seen the whole process. I mean, you don't have to go back that far in Iowa to a time when there weren't any deer to hunt. Right. You know, like right. we're talking 70s, 80s. Yeah. Yep. You know, that. That you wouldn't even dream of. Back when of. Kent was in high school. Oh my goodness! Oh <laughs> my goodness! Uh, there's the old jokes again. <laughs> I'll get you, Nick. I'll get you. <laughs> but uh no, the you go, you go back to seventies and eighties there weren't even any deer to hunt. There's no right. deer hunters in right. Iowa then, you know. And, uh, and now you know just a, an abundance, you know, more deer than than uh, so much so that that uh state agencies have had to add uh depredation seasons in several counties you know and and the threat of chronic wasting disease and overpopulated counties is is something that gets talked about all the time in in the deer community and ehd you know that's that's a population density related disease that affects deer um but uh I, i feel like our state does a really good job though of preserving the resource for people who live here you know there's yeah. the we don't ha- allow firearm hunting during the rut yep that's, yeah, that's
1: probably the single biggest thing yep that's kept iowa you know kept yeah iowa and you mentioned Alabama, illinois so. you
0: know your experience there yeah, that's that's yeah, part of it and, there and missouri and yep. wisconsin and uh I don't, i'm not sure about minnesota if if it's the same deal there but yeah but it's not like iowa nothing nothing is and what's unique about it and this is the statistic
1: that will amaze you know most people like you take illinois illinois probably has 10 times the habitat that Mm -hmm. iowa does wisconsin probably has 20 times minnesota 20 times but their hunting isn't half as good yeah so you you know our dnr has really done a good job with a very limited resource and i think a lot of people don't realize how you know like less than five percent of our state is forested Mm -hmm. so it's it's not much and then of that just a very small fraction is public land yeah so you know i think we are second least in the nation on on per capita public land yep
0: and we also you know from and here's a can of worms right steve Uh, the crossbows uh that's that you know we, we actually had a customer in today who uh is a crossbow hunter here in iowa but he's 80 years old he just had his back operated on and i think he's had both of his shoulders operated on and he said man i wish i could still pull a bow but you know right. and, and it's th- like that's that's who the crossbow, place yeah exactly that's who that's what cro- it should be yeah, right so. and and whereas a lot of these other states even during the archery seasons uh uh you know they allow everybody to use a crossbow and then also from a non-resident standpoint Every, everyone who's a crazy whitetail guy who doesn't live in Iowa hates Iowa right. because right. it's so hard to get here yep. Yep. As, an, as an archery hunter to uh, draw a tag in Iowa. takes four or five years for our best zones. Right, And so Iowa just, uh, and I know it's not totally related to the conversation right now, but whenever it just comes up at all when I'm on a podcast, doing a podcast, I want to, you know. Shout the praise to the state for doing such a fine job. Yep, I would say the same. Preserving one of our most valuable, from a tourism standpoint, you know, an alternative, you know, for rural economy, one of our most valuable resources are deer, and our state does an excellent job. Yeah. So shout out to you, Jace uh, Elliott, uh, our, our buddy up there at the Iowa <laughs> DNR.
2: And so he, he's a deer manager. What what does Todd do again?
0: He's our state Upland biologist. Okay, state okay. Upland. Yep. Todd Bogenschutz. Yep.
1: Oh,
2: yeah. yeah. Yeah, he does an ostrich. Give we, him a shout
0: out, too, just because he's a cool guy. Oh,
2: yeah, we, <laughs> we like that. So we interviewed him for a docuseries we're coming out with. And oh, if cool. you guys don't know what we're talking about, you will hear in, in May and into June. Coming out with a two or three-part docuseries about the the prehistoric prairie. So what was prairie oh, like wow. from the ice age until a couple hundred years ago? And Ken's been putting that together and I'm pretty sure he's just using it as an excuse to talk to really cool people. He's like, <laughs> Hey guys, I'm putting this doggy series together. You're going to love it. And then he just goes and chats with them for an
0: hour and a half while pressing record. Uh, <laughs> but it, excuse it, me while we... I go talk to Bill I, the science guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, oh man.
2: But, I don't know. it. it, it the i remember todd saying this while we were meeting what he said you just got to do what you can with what you've got sure mm-hmm. and i mean my goodness that's what iowa farmers are were built on 200 <laughs> yeah. years ago right yeah, they yeah. showed up yep. they had 13 right. foot roots deep in the ground what what did they have except a plow on their backs and, and they horse. yeah yeah and yep. they freaking use those to the bone uh and you know now we here we are today with all these advancements and and uh I think he's done a great job.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Nick, because that's what I appreciate about guys like Steve who want to be in the ag world in some way. I mean, that's, that's why I ended up here at Hoxie myself, but, it, the game has changed so much that if you want to just go in as a conventional farmer, you know, you know what I think I'm going to do. I think I'm going to go be a conventional farmer. Uh, your your date for doing that ended like you know 150 years ago yeah. here in Very Iowa. You know, difficult. right? You got to. It's got to be part of your inheritance pretty much at yeah. this point. Or like Nick was talking about, got to be a professional athlete on the side. Right. Yeah, know, To afford
2: yeah, farming, you got to yes. be a professional athlete. That would help.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so the creativity of what guys like you have done where you've gone through all these avenues, you know, you talked about, start out with the guiding, then you right. started the real estate side of it and the property management, CRP planning. Yep. I mean, what? So if you had to describe everything that you do, like make a list for us here, what all goes into doing your operation?
1: Well, I mean, you mean the different practices? Yeah. Just the and different, stuff? different tasks I mean, that services you offer, you know, basically, You know, I took it from, okay, I own a recreational farm, and what do we need to do, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when we brought in the fact that we were helping, what the way I got into real estate was exactly that. It was people hunted with me, loved it out here. And then they'd go home and be looking on the internet and they'd be like, Hey, can you go look at this farm? I'm thinking about buying it. Can you go look at this <laughs> farm? I'm thinking about buying it. Well, the realtors, other ones loved it. Cause I did all their legwork. Right. And then yeah. They yeah, made all the the show, so I, yeah, You know, eventually remedied that. But then I also, you know, saw the battle like, you know, somebody who is a farmer and that's their job. It's hard to get them to plant your food plots. Yeah. Even if they're neighbors and they can for a lot there's usually always challenges, access, size of equipment, things like that. And I would see how bum these guys were when they would show up and either didn't get planted or it got planted in June because you know what I mean, when everything else was done and they were just trying to run the planter (laughs) out of seed, you know. So that (laughs) and I felt that myself. I had those same experiences. So that's when we started doing food plot planning. And then, you know, then that led into prairie grass crp that we used to do a lot of tree planting my first okay my first part of doing any type of custom work was tree planting because we really you used, used to do the riparian buffers um you know they would they would do they would accept marginal pasture land okay into crp through that tree planting sure program. oh uh, yeah. okay so, so like so, a
2: cc or tree crp tree crp yeah huh.
1: that was the first stuff that i that's did that's
2: interesting
0: and
1: um what i what i learned after doing and i have some beautiful um tree plantings on some of our farms still to this day you know oak trees white oaks that are 25 feet tall that we That's planted awesome. 20 years ago yeah. the problem is the use of the land and the tree planting meaning use of land meaning a hunting farm and a mm-hmm. deer sanctuary and the chance of getting trees to survive it's an incompatible use Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. The deer and come in and they just eliminate, eat them. Them. they literally just eat them. And I've always yeah. said, you know, I think the right way, if you were going to continue that would be the forester's approach was always oversaturated. You know, we'll yeah. just put plant 700 an acre and hope 50 make it. Right. Well, yeah. usually none make it if the deer really get after them. Mm-hmm. I would plant a quarter of the number of trees, but cage them mm-hmm. or tube them, spend sure. more money per tree and try to get the survival up that way but that's sort of why I gravitated towards the prairie grass because it would survive in that, you know, prairie grass does great, you know, warm season grasses, it provides all the same or better cover, um, quicker. So, you know, those are, those are some of that, but you were getting back to what you said, you know, we, we do the food plots and the CRP, all aspects of CRP management, you know, from burning, uh, spraying, planting, that whole thing. And then, um, the one thing that I do on my own, on my own farms, and I'll help a friend every once in a while, but we do cut some high-end, high-value walnut timber.
2: So of those things that you were saying that you did, the CRP management, the planting, the the hunting uh, management, um, uh, the real estate, what is, what's your favorite?
1: That is tough. That's a tough one. Um, I would start with... If I was if I was parent, which is this is part of what's going on in my life right now, you know I am removing myself from the hunting business, letting the guys that are my partners run that. You know I'm mm. still I still have a hand in it because that helps me the it helps. We have landowners that we've dealt with for 25 years. Sure, they wouldn't work with new people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So yep. I'm kind of their liaison yeah. to keep that. Oh, going. we get that. We yeah. Get that. Yep. So you know that that but that's something that um I'm you know it's. You know, climbing trees, hanging tree stands. While well, I yeah. love doing it, that that's that part gets old. So that would be the first one that I would cut. But the of all the tasks, if it's going correctly, burning is probably one of my most. If it's favorite. going correctly, if yeah. it's going what if correctly, it's not going correctly? Then it's my
0: least favorite. It's, it's, yeah. got, it's got a little bit of that grizzly guy to yes, adrenaline exactly. rush in it. Uh yes. oh! Uh oh! Uh <laughs> oh!
2: Exactly. We yeah. had we had a scare last year, and and listeners, if you haven't seen it on YouTube, there's a video of us. Burning. uh Well, our Canlow switchgrass field yeah, got. Switch uh, is scary stuff. Oh, yes. it got way out of hand and it jumped into Indian grass, and we were like, Where's Dad? And he was driving uh, Alice Chalmers 185 with big water hose tank on the oh. back through <laughs> the flames, trying to put it oh, out. Oh no! And uh, one, I have no idea how you could see, but you know he's been driving. I think Grandpa told me the first time he ever drove, he was like seven years old sure. by himself in the field, right? So he, a tractor's like his legs. Sure. you know, might as well be. Yeah. So he was he was fluently driving, but I have no idea how he could see through all the smoke. That was just crazy. He's just spraying blindly sure. <laughs>
0: in front of him, just
2: trying to get out out of there and keep it contained
0: yeah i mean you burning can be i just heard a new one the other uh, yesterday i was listening to a podcast from another land manager on on controlled burns and the guy on there the guest that he was interviewing i think he was from wisconsin he said he knew of an example where somebody was burning and as far as he knows the burn was going okay but all their smoke was drifting across the the highway right and caused a fatal accident Uh, you know so it's like stuff like that you don't even think yeah yeah, but there's so many so many really challenging with huge consequence yep Yep. yeah one of our burning
1: what we we're doing quite a bit of burning for another uh contractor and they do some planning and i'm sure you guys would know them but um They don't do their own burning anymore. They had a fire get away, and they burned the siding off these people's house. Yeah, and they lost their insurance. So that yes, and they got out of the burn. The burning, they sub them. They still are on rotations to burn certain farms they manage. So now they're we're subcontracting that from them. But
2: that's hard yeah because we used to do it but it was just a manpower, manpower it, it is thing. A, you know yep. you need you sometimes have a you need lot like three four five people yep. depending on what it's and like it's so
1: weather dependent mm-hmm. you know like this year you know according to the nrcs and fsa we have another month to burn but i don't think we'll be burning in a week we're going to be done next week because it's getting it's getting green enough and uh, you yeah. know you yep. know yep. good prairie you can still burn you know
0: well, and just the dryness too you know right. start out we were we had a lot of good moisture coming yep. through March and and into early April and, and it hasn't rained for probably over a week now. Yeah, and yeah, it's starting to get a little windy. dry. So, yep, yeah, and sure. that
2: wind just you know builds the cracks in the ground. Yep, and carries away the dust. And it's supposed to rain this Saturday, but I don't know. Last year it felt like it was supposed to rain every week yep. and then it would just miss us. Mm-hmm. It was it was not a good year last year. And actually I was just looking at our overall seed um, intake and it was so pitiful simply yeah. because we would get the seeds and then the germ was like, the germination right. rate was like half of what it normally sure. so you're normally getting like a 75 80% germination rate you get like a 35 to 50% germination sure. rate and you're like you know and so you're that's income
0: you're losing right. you know and and uh, just cuz of the drought yeah yep and uh you know that's part of it too you know i guess to kind of bring everything full circle here and back to a you know finishing on a conservation note i guess you could say is well, that's part of why all of us do what we do. We know that um, for a healthier world, <laughs> we gotta we gotta get more of the habitat that is supposed to be here back on the landscape. More prairie acres back in, on the landscape, and and uh, you know, not have so much ground that isn't taking any carbon in throughout most of the year and a lot of carbon is being put into the air just to manicure all those acres you know prairie does a nice job of being there and uh sequestering that carbon and holding off these all these droughts We just seems like year after year you know nick and i have joked about we're going to put together a climate change mix where it's <laughs> like uh you know white sage and rattlesnake master all the these way veins something yeah, that yeah, can yeah. handle dry yeah. yeah just drought tolerant but you know it's it's uh uh, it's a real part of it. And, um, you know, that's where you can see like a compounded problem. If, if, uh, outfits such as Hoxie aren't able to produce as much seed because of the drought, then even when everyone says, all right, let's get the prairie back here, we're not going to have the seed to, yeah. to, seed to do accomplish it. So, it. So, yeah. so, uh, it's, it's all part of the, the full, uh, you know, the full topic, I guess you could say, Steve, if you had one like one thought you wanted to leave our listeners with on maybe on acquiring land or taking care of their land or conservation. Uh, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot yeah, here, no, but, um, but maybe like a pet peeve of yours or something like that. Uh-huh. What would, what would that be to Well, not really
1: on the pet peeve thing, but you know, the one, th- the just using my own strange life path, you know, as example that I would encourage anybody that has interest to buy land. Mm. you know, and get started in that, especially, and it doesn't have to be farmland. doesn't have to be recreational. land. it could be houses. The single best thing that I ever did was buy real estate, you know, mm. and it, mm. that kind of yeah. really set me up for where I am today, you know, thankfully. Sure. So, and I, you know, and I just kind of stumbled into that path. And, you know, now I, I try to encourage, you know, young people. I said, Hey, you know, there's USDA loans. There's ways to get started. If you do want to yeah. own a farm, don't think that it's insurmountable. And, you know, but that would be the single biggest takeaway I would have. So
0: excellent, Man. yeah, that's great advice. That is
2: really cool. And and, and uh, Steve, if people wanted to get a hold of you, they're down in uh, in the Appanoose County or surrounding county yep. area. How are they doing that?
1: Uh, probably, I mean, in social media wise, Instagram's always the best. That's just mm-hmm. Steve Hansen the third, and then um, our Iowa CRP services. We have that website. Um, that's a great one to find out, you know, on the work side of things. And then as far as real estate, I work out of the Albie office for Hawkeye United country.
2: So cool. and I we agree. have that
1: website as well. Man. So Very what, good.
2: what I really like is about the finishing thought that you had is, is when people when when we own land, when you own land and, and it is not too expensive, you know, you can buy something. Absolutely. You might not be able to buy a thousand acres, but you can, you know, save up a little bit of money and, and buy something. It, it, You have the ability to do that and uh, the really cool thing about that is then you have domain and you have authority over this and you can actually start to make a difference in your corner of the world And, and that is really important for conservation because as we know, conservation happens one mind at a time.